0: Welcome to The Quiet Life. I'm Michael James Wong, meditation teacher, author, founder of Just Breathe, and your host for this podcast. Now it goes without saying that we're living in an uncertain time where everything is changing rapidly. We're living day to day, unsure of the road that lies ahead. And things are getting a little or a lot quieter. So join me on this podcast as we speak to experts and inspiring voices about home practices for your mind and mental health during this time of uncertainty. Listen in as they share their thoughts and daily practices you can do wherever you are. Welcome to The Quiet Life. Welcome to this episode of The Quiet Life. I'm your host, Michael James Wong. And on this episode, I'm joined by not only one of one of a, a good friends that I have, but also a London-based yoga teacher who is regularly teaching all around London, as well as international workshops, conferences, trainings. Um, he's also the host uh, or the co-host of a podcast called Honestly Unbalanced and has his own live platform at home for yoga, meditation, well-being, which is called Home with the Hustlers. And it is um, my very good friend, Adam Hustler. How you doing, Mike? Good. How's it going? It's really nice to actually have a chat on a podcast now. I mean, you and I actually are good friends. We've known each other for years. We actually live around the corner from each other. But, um, you know, it, it, I guess it's moments like this when we've all been moved inside, when actually there is a silver lining of having a bit more time to have conversation with, uh, with people that are, are close to us.
1: So interesting, we've got this time to actually stop like a perfect example. You and I live so close. You've been there for a few months and I've seen you once despite the fact you live around the corner. And I think that's just a perfect example of how busy our lives can get, uh, especially in a city like London and how this is actually forcing us to slow down, which is probably much needed for many people in this community.
0: Uh, Absolutely. I mean, I I obviously know the work that you do, but for people who are maybe newer to the work that you do or the world that you live in, you know, what's your journey to now? And what are the things that you do in your life these days? So in short, I'm a
1: yoga teacher. This was never the career plan, as it were. Uh, I found yoga initially as kind of an antidote, a mental and physical antidote to what was going on in my life. When I initially found it, I was getting over a breakup. Uh, I was in a very uncertain state. Uh, where I'd come back to my home city, didn't really know what life would hold for me. Uh, Physically, I was kind of a boxer. My body was tense and tight. And so, yeah, yoga became a physical and mental antidote for me. That continued for many years and eventually wanted to educate myself further on it. I've got a legal background as well, so I, I, I like to know stuff. I like to know why I'm doing things. And that path eventually led me to teaching yoga. And the way I teach yoga now is, well, my bias at least, is towards anatomy, logic, and reason. And I certainly don't think the physical practice is all that a yoga practice is. But while we are using our physical bodies to connect with something deeper than ourselves, we may as well do it in a way that is beneficial and safe. Uh, and get all those added benefits of of the physical practice. So that's kind of where where I'm at in how I teach. I teach meditation and mindfulness as well, uh, kind of a combination of kind of non-religious Buddhism uh, or non-dogmatic Buddhism, and some of the Hellenistic philosophies, particularly kind of stoicism. And I combine those two things together when I teach meditation. Great.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's such a wealth of knowledge and time that you've spent in these practices. And I think, I mean, one of the main reasons I wanted to to have you on the podcast was not only for maybe the the insights that you have around the practices, but also just this sense of what's going on in the world right now, and maybe how much or how needed uh, quieter practices like yoga and movement and mindfulness actually are essential for kind of what's going on in the world. I, I tend to think that, um, you know, right now, everything is a bit more uncertain uh, than maybe how it was two weeks ago, two months ago, definitely. And I mean, I know for you as, as a teacher, especially someone who's quite regularly out and about in the city, in London, and actually traveling quite a lot. I mean, how has that affected you or impacted you, not just in your schedule, but maybe in kind of your overall attitude or approach to uh, your mindset?
1: So my, yeah, my lifestyle is pretty hectic in that I'm teaching 17 classes of the week around London, most weekends, I'm teaching in other countries, in other cities, uh, and yet, when I teach yoga, I'm trying to tell people to slow down. Uh, so I've been forced to slow down myself, and kind of, of course, lead by example now, as it were. But what I consider is that most of us that live in cities, it's very easy for us to objectify success. You know, we can uh, we can get promoted at work, we can earn a certain amount of money. Uh, If we're a runner, we can focus on getting PBs. If we are into photography, we can focus on how many likes we get on Instagram of our photos. And in many ways, the beauty of a yoga practice, there is no objective success. There is no winning. I think many people who are new to yoga, who are drawn in to the shapes, they do try and win for a long time. I certainly try to win at poses for a little while. But I think once we actually get into the practice, we realize... It's just a practice of self-inquiry, using using the body as a vehicle for that. Uh, and I think in these uncertain times, we're I think the average person could be a little bit lost because suddenly there is nothing to judge success by on a daily basis. You know, I know many people who are just doing a little bit of work from home, going on little walks, reading books. We We can't hold on to the idea of success at the moment. Uh, and so I think actually yoga and meditation can help us navigate through that.
0: And I mean, you and I obviously are both yoga teachers in the sense of how we can, can share and, and kind of expand on these practices. But I mean, do you think right now in the context of how the world is, is this maybe not the ultimate yoga practice off the yoga mat? I think, I think so. I think that one of the main reasons we do asana
1: beyond the byproduct of, of course, getting stronger or looser, is that when we're in any pose, we're to some degree experiencing something uncomfortable. And then in that uncomfortable position that is offering us some challenge, we're observing, okay, what's happening in my mind as I reside in this slight discomfort? What's happening with my internal narrative as I stay in this uncomfortable pose? And if we can actually observe that, through asana we can do it hopefully in our daily lives so when i'm uncomfortable in my body when i'm uncomfortable or getting stressed out on the tube i can actually turn back to my yoga practice and uh, apply what i learned about myself in warrior two to this uncomfortable uh, position in daily life
0: no, I absolutely agree with that. But I mean, just for people who are listening, who maybe aren't as familiar with yoga, um, you know, asana is what? So
1: asana is poses. So what you would typically see on Instagram or what you imagine a yoga class might be, uh, the poses are called asana. There's, of course, a lots of variety. Some classes will be more dynamic and athletic, full of very impressive uh, visual poses, sometimes a little bit more static, sometimes more gentle, but anything involving the physical body would really be called
0: asana. Right, uh, I guess I'm aware of kind of the wider context of this, but maybe for, for this kind of wider audience, I mean, so if yoga is not just the physical movement, what other aspects of our livelihood or of our awareness uh, are encompassed in maybe this idea or the the overall practice of yoga? I
1: think in in the West,
0: the most accessible way to
1: practice is through the body. Like we're very used to historically doing keep fit classes. To the average Westerner, let's say, uh, to sit and meditate is becoming more accessible, but very recently. So the average person just sitting even just the act of sitting is going to be quite uncomfortable for many people. But as, as branches of a yoga practice and you know, one might meditate, one might chant and do kirtan, uh, One might just study and study the, the Vedic text. One might practice asana uh, and they're all different paths. For me, I would say different paths to self inquiry, learning about yourself, but at the same time dropping ego. And my belief through yoga practice is what I'm mainly looking for is balance and balance in every sense balance in the body between flexibility and strength but balance also in the mind so I'm trying not to let's say indulge in all of the happy times and constantly look for an elated state but equally I'm not trying to dwell in the heavy times I'm always looking to observe what's happening have an initial reaction whatever that might be and then try and find some sense of kind of equanimity through that.
0: Yeah. And, and was this a natural process for you finding this kind of yogic journey or was this kind of a, a big gear change at some point? I mean, how did it find you or how did you find the practice?
1: Okay. So initially it was just playing around with it. Oh, this is a fun kind of stretching class that evolved into, it became the only time in my life where I could find silence. And when I first really started yoga, I used to get to the studio half an hour early just to line my back where no phone was ringing, no one was asking me for anything, just to practice being with myself and just bearing witness to the moment. Uh, And then all the physical stuff was fun as well. Uh, And I think we all go through a journey and we find a yoga practice that suits us at that time. Uh, and there's many pathways like if what you need to start off yoga is to do yoga with beer or yoga with goats around you, <laughs> that might be an initial access point. but yeah, it took me a while to really want to explore the idea of balance and calm, and it almost actually took me by surprise in a sense. I started to realize how I was less reactive. Uh, and I wasn't ever really overly happy for sustained periods or overly sad. There was a, a contentment that I felt through the every day for many days, many weeks, many months
0: at a time. Yeah. I mean, and would would you say, I mean, I, maybe this is maybe more of the existential question is, is did your yoga be change because you grew up or maybe understood a bit more or did uh, you change because the yoga had a a different or a a greater effect on you?
1: I think the practice does something that we don't necessarily realize. So an example of that with, I teach, yes, a physical based practice. And I talk a lot about muscles and ligaments and alignment, but I think it can still be to some degree a spiritual experience where people are just with themselves and learning about themselves. And I think there was lots of work going on underneath that, that might not be quite so tangible. And when I started yoga, a like intensively, it wasn't when I was practicing that I felt most calm or tranquil. It was walking back home afterwards. There was a, a noticeable effect. There was a, a noticeable mood change. And I think over time, I haven't tried to become more yogic per se. But I think the years and the thousands of hours of doing yoga has had a notable change on me.
0: Right. And then let's talk about this. Now we know that there's obviously a current uh, climate of uncertainty, of fear, of people moving indoors or obviously being asked to stay at home. And, you know, in the past, I'm going to say five, 10 years, yoga has been the greatest, widest global uh, phenomenon or... Um, practice that has kind of you know exploded into all corners uh, of life. Now there's obviously any, a lot of people who practice in yoga studios, go to classes regularly, once, twice, three times, five times a week, who have now pretty much had to go cold turkey from that studio environment. I mean, what kind of effect have you seen in, in your community with your students? What kind of impact has this immediacy of of, of stopping a, a studio practice been on for people's well-being? I think what's
1: what's quite interesting for me is I actually end up teaching a lot of normal people, as it were. Yes, a lot of yoga teachers come to my classes, but equally lots of just normal lawyers, doctors, hairdressers come to my classes. And I think what they miss from speaking to some of them, at least, is that sense of community outside of uh, outside of work. I think for a lot of people, they see the people at work, they see, they see their family. London or big cities often don't allow much time with friends. Uh, And I think in a yoga studio, there is this wonderful sense of community, even if people aren't speaking and holding hands and hugging, to just breathe together and practice together is a really wonderful thing. And I think people are, are really missing that. And I think the live classes that people are doing is offering some sense of community more than perhaps the streaming platforms are. Like I'm surprised by how many people are wanting to do the live classes compared to all the streaming offers out there, including my own. Uh, So I think community is something that people are missing slightly, but I think we're all working to try and get beyond that and try and find ways to continue to build community and make people realize there is support out there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, you say that in a really nice way. That there's this sense of people appreciating the let's call it the sanctuary or the space or the community that you find by going into classes by kind of regularly being around people that you don't work with. And so when people are coming indoors, they have this need for connection, but also you know they still have the need for wanting to let's say put themselves on a yoga mat.
1: Mm. And
0: I guess it's finding as as you say the balance between. How much of the practice is the physical movement on the mat, which obviously keeps the body fit and and aware, and how much of the practice is that sense of feeling like you belong to something where it's not uh, so judged or so strict or so fast or so furious?
1: Indeed, indeed. I think people need to not put too much pressure on themselves in this situation Like the people that practice four times a week, let's say they practice a 75-minute class, a dynamic class four times a week. It's probably unrealistic that people are going to have the physical or mental energy to do that in their own home. So I think sometimes all your physical practice might need to be is roll a mat out for 10 minutes and just do some things that feel kind of nice. You don't need to do every layer of a yoga class with the music and the dynamic sun salutations. You might just do some light movements to get into your body. But maybe sometimes you do the, the fuller practice as well. But I think we need to work out what our body needs in that moment. Right. And sometimes it might be dynamic, sometimes gentle.
0: Yeah. I mean, knowing you personally, you you are an advocate of both being in class with a teacher, but also spending time um, you know, investigating for yourself. I mean, in your eyes, what are some of the pros and cons about kind of practicing at home right now versus practicing in a studio? What's actually good about being at home for practice? I think you have the lack of being judged, that no one is watching you.
1: I think in a yoga studio, of course, even if you try your hardest, there might be some sense of competitiveness even if you're trying to get rid of it, there might be some sense of, oh, well, what's that person doing? Oh, look at that person. There is maybe sometimes in a yoga studio, you fall in love with someone that you've never met and never spoken to, but they're in your class every week. A yoga studio can be full of distraction. So there is something nice about being at home alone where no one can see and you can go crazy if you wanna go crazy. So that that is, that is wonderful. Uh, you can, of course, practice on your own terms, often whenever you want. There's no traveling involved. All of these things are nice. Of course, in terms of the cons, it can take a hell of a lot of motivation to roll a mat out, to find space. If you live with people, to get them out the way uh, and roll out your mat when you can hear what's happening downstairs. You can hear the TV on, you can smell cooking. You know there are all these household tasks that you need to get done where in a yoga studio you use the word sanctuary i think a yoga studio sometimes can be that where you know for that period of time this is your practice this is your sacred space and it can be hard to find that at home
0: yeah people who are at home and they are you know they they find the motivation to to roll the mat out i know as teachers we always tend to say you know figure out what you need, you know, uh, move the body in a way that feels good. For someone who's a bit newer to the practice or who's not as experienced and who doesn't have a teacher like you guiding them, how do you actually know what you need?
1: When we talk about listening to our body, that can be sometimes quite confusing in that our body is a good indicator of what we might need, but we also need to use logic and reason as well. An example I always give in class is that on a Friday night, your body lets you drink two bottles of wine your mind knows that's probably not the best idea but your body allows you to do it because it feels nice in the moment Uh, and i'm a big fan of when i decide what practice i want to do i have a combination of things that oh yeah my body just feels like this might be good in the moment but equally i have to acknowledge that my hips are really tight I know it kind of feels uncomfortable, but I probably need to open that area a little bit. For me, I, I over the last two years, I've tried to get strong again. I don't enjoy it, but I know it's probably what my body needs, even yeah. though my body's telling me, don't bother, just go, to, go and have some sushi instead. Uh, so I think we need a bit of a combination. I think when we're feeling less motivated, I think it's just go with it, go with whatever feels nice, maybe do some online classes that just let you do the things you want to do or that do the restorative style practice. But I think sometimes just think, okay, I know my body needs to move a little bit more dynamically. I don't want to do it, but this would be good for me. And actually, it's very good, I think. And I think you learn most about yourself when you push yourself through something perhaps you don't want to do, when
0: you expand that comfort zone in that moment. And so, just building on that, then is—is is there a good kind of checklist or kind of place to start? You know, if you were literally brand new, you were listening to this podcast because you were kind of looking for tips around um, maybe fitness or meditation, and you're kind of listening into this yoga one, going, "Okay, I, I get it. It makes sense. I appreciate the the value of moving." But you know, is—is is there a basic like? parts of the body you should check in on whether i know you mentioned your hips and these types of things i mean is what are the points where a brand new beginner would say how do i actually get going with this
1: in terms of acknowledging what most of us need to do more of i think the average person who works an average job probably spends a lot of time slouching with their spine curving forwards we spend a lot of time on our phones and our computers so chances are our head has become to sink like sinking forward and rounding further we spend a lot of time sitting so chances are our legs are pretty rigid and fairly tight so i think we need to unlock those areas Uh, in terms of how you do that i think it's finding some open level classes online that will guide you through that process if you don't like to do things with videos there's plenty of articles out there Uh, What I would always recommend if you're going to practice online is try to find teachers that do teach in studios that perhaps you've heard of. Uh, Because, of course, anyone can put anything on the Internet. But if that teacher has, has taught in a studio you're aware of,
0: then at least you know that they will know what they're talking about and you can kind of trust what they're saying. Sure, and and it, but I mean, if you were brand new at home and listening to this, of course, are there places online that you could point us towards? Yeah, so of
1: course, I would say my website is wonderful. Sure. <laughs> of course, I'm very biased in that regard. Uh, there are wonderful platforms like Yoga Glow, like Udaya, uh, that can give you some good access points. Lots of studios now, like I'm sure for most people, their low their local yoga studio is probably doing something online just to get by at the moment. And I think that's probably the best place to go rather than going for a big online platform with a teacher you're likely to never ever meet with teachers that are in your area online. How wonderful when you can actually take your practice away from the house and actually into the studio and practice with those teachers in person. And in many ways, it's a perfect way to start yoga Uh, because there's no ego when you're practicing in your home alone and there's no risk of embarrassment you can make a fool of yourself with no one watching and by the time you're able to actually get
0: to a yoga studio you're a little bit competent perfect I mean that's a great place to start what I would ask then uh, I mean let's talk about styles of practice because I mean as we both know there's lots of different styles and if you are you know investigating into a yoga practice from home whether you're kind of getting back into it or starting fresh You know, we both know that there's lots of different styles out there. So what should people be looking for or what should they be uh, searching for when when starting practicing? So my main tip would be step back and acknowledge all the other
1: ways you could exercise. Like if you really wanted cardio, maybe run, maybe cycle, maybe go swimming, maybe not at the moment. Uh, If you want to get much stronger... Maybe you can lift some weights. Yoga offers you something much more than that. So I would say try not to treat yoga as a cardio practice or a strengthening practice. See it as more of a practice of physical self-inquiry with the side benefits that you might get stronger and get more flexible and slightly increase your cardio as a byproduct. So I'd say acknowledge that from the start. And so if you are a runner, a cyclist, you probably don't need a cardio form of yoga. Most studios, their general offer will be some form of vinyasa yoga. Uh, so vinyasa yoga involved poses tied together in a sequence. It can be fast, but that very much depends on the teacher. It's not entirely prescriptive. So some teachers will teach to music and it might almost look like contemporary dance. Some teachers will teach you spend time in the poses, uh, Both of these things could be vinyasa yoga. So I would say when you're investigating beyond the name of the class, try and look for the teacher's background or the teacher's bio for how they say they teach. Other styles that you might look at, if you want something more purely relaxing, you have restorative yoga, which essentially is kind of lying on objects in various directions with some very passive opening but it's beautifully relaxing. Yin yoga, which contrary to some popular belief, isn't necessarily meant to be relaxing. Like you are getting into some juicy spots by spending five or 10 minutes in poses. Uh, so that is an extreme style of yoga because you're there for so long, but can be very wonderful. There are two very traditional styles, well, a traditional as in probably more about a hundred years old uh, called Ashtanga yoga and Yengar yoga ashtanga generally follows a set sequence uh, so it can be quite good if you're starting and you're a fan of of not going into the unknown every class starting at the ashtanga primary series uh, could be great for you because you just practice the same thing every day uh, Yengar yoga tends to be a little bit more technical and static so they are i'd say five nice styles to consider at Iyengar, ashtanga restorative yin and vinyasa yoga but i would say the most common in most cities will be some variation of of vinyasa yoga
0: right and while people are at home right now and obviously for a lot of people you know who do re- practice regularly they have their mats they have all the things that they need to kind of sort themselves out for home practice Um, for those who are newer if they've ever been to a class what's kind of the what's what's the best home setup situation right now for people then i think the you firstly you need space that is the size of a mat as long i think as long as
1: you have a soft surface fine you know you might slip a little bit on carpet but it's not going to cause massive discomfort uh but make sure you have a space that is broadly the size of a mat and i think that's all you really need occasionally the teacher might instruct to use a brick or something to some kind of object to help make the pose a little bit more accessible in the absence of a brick you know you can use a thick book so i'd say that's all you really need some space and maybe something to lean on or support you like a book and then things to wear in your opinion Wear whatever you want. As long as you can bend in it, that's all you really need. Typical gym clothes is perfect. You you don't want to wear jeans because they're going to, of course, restrict your movement. And be aware that you're likely to start off fairly cold, but you're likely, depending on the style, to get warm relatively fast, especially because often teachers will encourage you to use a particular kind of breath that will generate heat in the body. So it could be nice to start off with a hoodie on, and fully expect to take that off after 10 or 15 minutes.
0: Just Breathe is an organization focused on real world connections in person, online and in mass. We create shared experiences which bring people together and celebrate the power of doing less in a more meaningful way. Take a moment to download the Just Breathe app, our simple and easy to use app with guided meditations and soundtracks, created and recorded specially to calm the mind and ease the body. We've literally put the power of mindfulness in the palm of your hand, and even more, it's free. So download the app now on all iPhone and Android devices. And for more information about our growing conversation, visit us at justbreatheproject.com, where you'll find more about our other podcasts, video content, and amazing opportunities to connect. And follow along on Instagram at justbreathe. let's take it back. I mean, for the context of of everyone listening to this, let's take it back to kind of when you first started. I mean, do you remember and can you maybe walk us through the very first practice or one of the first practices and kind of what was going through your, your mind at that point?
1: I started yoga really intensively when I moved back to my home city of Birmingham. Uh, and I kind of, it was mainly to actually meet people. It was mainly for community. In that I moved back to a city where none of my friends still were, I was spending most of my time at work or in a boxing club, and I thought it's been nice, I, I need to meet people, uh, and I thought, well, okay, should I do more yoga or should I start dancing? <laughs> and uh, yoga won, and I went into it as someone at the time who had like an eight pack. I was super fit. You know, I wasn't a professional boxer, but I was in a professional gym, and in my mind, I was like, well, I can't be as good as them at boxing because that requires skill and time, but I can be fitter than them. Uh, that, that was a person going into a yoga class, like hyper-competitive, super athletic. And I thought, I'm going to win at this as well. And I was egocentric, like completely egocentric. And it was a hot studio. So I was like, well, I can get topless and I can flex. <laughs> I think all of this is going on inside my head. And I found it really hard. And it was really humbling. And I started to realize just holding my arms out to the side in warrior two was like, well, I don't understand. I'm this strong guy. That old lady can do this. And I can't even hold my arms up for a minute. What's happening here? And it kind of made me realize how I was only really inhabiting a small percentage of my body. And that actually my internal narratives were all over the place. Uh, that was kind of my my first really intense serious yoga experience yeah and it but it did make me want to learn more yeah and it actually was so wonderful at bringing
0: down ego i was just gonna say that the exact same thing i mean I remember my first class, this was back in Los Angeles, who knows, in early 2000s, and I remember walking into a studio, which at the time was called City Yoga, which was on like Fairfax and uh, something like uh, La Brea, Uh, sorry, Fairfax, let's call it Fairfax and and Melrose for anyone who's familiar with that area. And I mean, I remember the same exact thing walking in, okay, well, I'm, I'm fairly fit. This should be relatively easy. I should be able to win pretty successfully. And then I remember getting my, my butt handed to me by, uh, you know, uh, a nice older lady who was quiet, soft-spoken, smiling the whole time. And it just felt like everyone else um, knew something I didn't know because I was just working so <laughs> hard trying to trying to be good. And I think probably you and I and maybe a lot of people listening to this, uh, maybe a lot of guys listening to this have had that similar experience of maybe going in and being humbled by the practice because we kind of learn either maybe in that first practice or in those first few practices that if you bring your ego in, you're bringing in a lot more weight to the practice and a lot more baggage to the practice. Mm. And all of that baggage
1: is heavy. Yeah. It's heavy to hold on to and that's what that's one, of my, one of my teachers a guy called Dave Stringer says a lot like just let all this stuff go it's heavy let it go it's just solely because it's heavy and i really like that sentiment and i think most of us living busy lives we hold on to more than we know and this gap this pause whether it be because of the situation we're in at the moment or just a pause that you might have in a yoga practice gives you that space to realize what you're holding on to, to acknowledge that and to drop it and press pause on that narrative.
0: Yeah. And I think we're in this really unique time now and, and and you were saying so so rightly before. I mean, your teaching is very focused on logic and reason and things making sense, which is in many ways the complete opposite to this rare unique moment that we're in where there is no logic, there is no there is no reason. We don't actually know what's going on. We don't know how long this is going to go on. And so maybe to exactly your point that this might actually be Um, you know, let's say the the sign you've been waiting for or the moment that you've needed or the pause that has needed to happen to maybe give a little bit of a nudge to remember or remind ourselves that this yoga thing can actually be really supportive in a time like right now, more than just, let's say, moving the body. Oh, no, indeed, indeed. Far Far more than just moving the body. But
1: I think talking back about logic and reason, I think we still can employ those tools. I'm going to go down a bit of a stoic angle now. Stoic as in stoicism. And they talk about a a kind of a trichotomy of control. Uh, You know, things that you have no control over at all, uh, like the existence of coronavirus. Things that you have some control over, as in uh, whether whether you get it or not, as in you could completely stay in or you could go out and wear masks. Uh, and then things that you actually have pretty decent control over, as in whether you roll out your mat and sit and meditate or sit and practice. And I think all we can do is focus on the things that we have some control over. Uh, and I, th- I think that's something we should do in every part of our life uh, and realize when we're getting tied up in narratives of things that we have little to no control over uh and i and, and i really like that and that's helped me a lot uh and another another thing we can do as well in this moment and this will sound quite morbid to some degree is uh negative visualization uh so what i mean by that is one might imagine bad things happening okay so we might imagine people dying we might imagine losing jobs etc uh we might imagine these bad things and there's two reasons for that. One reason you might do that is so that you're more prepared should the things happen at some point. And many of the things that I described are perhaps to some degree inevitable at some point in one's life. So we have rehearsed that. The reason for doing that is it makes you really appreciate the things you have more while you have them or just the things you have in general. Uh, and I think that can be a very useful meditation for the idea of considering the things we have, what it might be like to lose them and how we can actually appreciate them more why we have them and how we can actually exist more in the moment.
0: Right. And then, I mean, so as a meditation in, in, and you, you speak to this kind of idea of negative visualization, I mean, how would that look or what would that, what would that meditation practice look like?
1: So in terms of how I might practice that in yeah, this how particular might you moment that? in time, is there might be various layers. So I would I would sit and I would just consider in my situation, okay, studios don't open for many more months, so I have no income from that. I might imagine retreats getting cancelled. Uh, these kind of things. So you might say that's pessimistic, but I'd say it's kind of a optimistic pessimism in a sense in that I'm considering these happening in the moment, just imagining these and how I might react to that. And then the next step, I might think, okay, but at the moment, I have this calendar. I'm lucky enough to be in a position where I do teach in these studios, or I'm lucky enough to be in a position where I have retreats booked in. There were people that want to come to my retreats, and there were people that would come into my classes. And then I might also move on to all the other things that I have that are positive, like the house I have, the wife I have, the new little kitten called uh, Suki that I have. And just consider all of those things and actually start to appreciate the things I have in this moment in time a little bit more and just hang out with that, hang out with that appreciation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a really nice way to put it. I mean, often with this awareness of negativity, we create this opportunity for positivity, for gratitude, for the appreciation of the things that we have. Um, Let's just talk, just generally, though, uh, about just the general idea or the attitude uh, of yoga as a as a whole discipline or as a whole practice. You know, you've been doing it for a while now. We both have. I mean, the the evolution of uh, let's say the appreciation of yoga has shifted quite dramatically in the last five to ten years. Um, I mean, where where I mean, when you first started practicing, what was what was yoga like? And maybe, kind of, the the general perception or mis, uh, misconceptions versus kind of how is it now, and maybe even especially as a guy.
1: Like, I think for me initially, when I thought of yoga, it was the typical someone's renting a town hall, maybe your mom or grandma goes to that. Or it's a very hippie thing where people are wearing hemp and doing it at Glastonbury. That was probably my view of what yoga was. When I started practicing, This is pre-Instagram, to a degree, pre-social media. There wasn't such a focus on the more dramatic, advanced poses, let's say. Uh, There is more of that now. And I think that's a nice thing, in a sense, uh, in that it it provides a better access point or inspiration for more people to try yoga. Uh, I think the yoga world is more diverse than ever. I think it continues to evolve. People are finding their own way of practicing. And I think some people you know, might say a lot, well, this isn't traditional yoga. And I'm not really a fan of that thought. People might say Ashtanga and Iyengar yoga are the traditional styles. You know, they're not that old. It's kind of granddad, <laughs> granddad era. They're not, like for me, tradition is something that's hundreds and hundreds of years old, thousands of years old. So a lot of yoga philosophy I would say is traditional, but I think the modern practice of asana will continue to evolve based on the demographic that are doing it, and I based on modern understanding of the body, and I think that's really a, a really wonderful thing. Uh, so I'm not very prescriptive in what I think a yoga practice can be. As long as it's a practice of self-inquiry, I think that's wonderful. I wouldn't go on to say that all my cycling is my yoga practice or I'm going for a run, that's my yoga practice, particularly. I think there's a little bit too much of other stuff going on there. As a guy doing yoga, so when I started, it was mainly females. And to a degree, it's changing. There's an increasing amount of men doing yoga, but still it draws more females in at times. And I think perhaps that is often because sweeping generalization but men sometimes are a little bit centered around team sports or a little bit centered on building muscle uh success a bit more yang and maybe often for men the benefits of yoga aren't necessarily valued uh or understood but i think that's changing
0: yeah, I, I would agree that things are, are, are changing for the better now. I mean, when, when I first started practicing, um, when you and I first started kind of hanging out in the same circles, I mean, we were part of that kind of earlier generation of guys, especially in London, kind of moving towards the practice as uh, a part of our, our lifestyle. I think where I really appreciate it now, not just from the men or the women in conversation, but just actually the greater appreciation to mental health, um, mental well-being, mindfulness of the way that we approach life and just that sense of community that comes from these practices, which are in many ways born from these practices. I think I am a a big advocate of uh, appreciating how yoga has changed a lot of my life, has changed the types of people that I hang out with, the types of Uh, environments or situations I put myself in. And maybe it's to your point, this sense of community that's been built around of it, that's now expanding uh, to a wider conversation. So people, while they might not yet really get the physical practice or appreciate going to classes, they actually have people in their lives who are, you know, generally just, they seem a bit nicer or they seem a bit more relaxed mm. or they just seem a bit more open to conversation. And right now it feels like the dotted line that connects all of those things is a yoga practice.
1: Indeed, and I, I agree completely that the benefits of yoga sometimes aren't on the surface so much. Beyond the, of course, the flexibility and strengthening stuff is, but it 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 took me to actually work through times of real significant trauma to realize oh wow yoga is really helping me like, there was a moment uh years ago where i was going through a breakup my dad was dying uh and died i had a broken leg i'd been in like a street fight thing yeah, all of this stuff that. had happened and i was like actually i'm fairly calm through all of this and i thought okay this is the yoga actually working and it took me to that to really realize okay this is the benefit of the practice this is where it's all coming together and as a slight kind of anecdote when I started teaching more and more I was actually working in the charity sector uh, working with young people and I saw that there was lots of resource going towards each young person and I thought actually if I can make instead of spending all my time and money on individual young people, for me, I thought if I can make the decision makers in society, you know, the lawyer or the company owner that employs a thousand people, if I can make them more mindful, more considerate, more thoughtful, that will have a far greater effect on the world, perhaps, than me just working with a handful of young people over this year and that's really what what made me become a teacher and often forget that sometimes and i kind of need to remind myself of why with the idea that hopefully we can create wider change not through everyone becoming a yoga teacher but more people just practicing yoga practicing meditation and then bringing that into their life as a doctor as a construction worker and actually living a life that has being affected by their yoga or mindfulness practice rather than living a life that is overtly i'm a yogi i'm a meditator
0: yeah i think that's a really really nice way to look at it and a really beautiful insight to the power that yoga has to impact not only our own lives but the you know the life and the lifestyles of people all around us and you know i know from my personal experience i mean if if my lawyer and my doctor, I mean, hell, if my parents did yoga growing up, maybe things would have been different. Maybe there would have been, you know, if my teachers did yoga or my coaches did yoga, um, maybe I at an earlier age would have realized the, the actual value of, of not wasting time or energy or anger mm-hmm. on, on things that might have taken a lot of my attention earlier on in my life.
1: Indeed. Indeed. I think more, the more people that can practice it, the better. I think we don't need more teachers, more healers. I think we need more people that are doing valuable things in society, things that we need, but are practicing yoga and mindfulness alongside that, rather than instead of that.
0: So saying that now that people, you know, have this rare opportunity at home and you know they they are let's say they already embody these these different roles in society of teachers and doctors and business leaders if they were going to bring yoga into the home right now, you know, being that they are at home right now, they they do arguably have more time or maybe this is the nudge or the reminder that they need. I mean, what what is a good home practice? What is the best way to to get going and and maybe, I mean, in your opinion, what what is something that people can actually do today to to kind of put yoga into their into their lifestyle?
1: So I think a few things. I, I'd say two two layers. One is just practice being still, and that for many people will be more physically demanding than trying to do a handstand for five minutes. Just practice having a still body, and observe the sensations in your body as you lie still. And as you lie, observing the feeling of the inhale, the pause after the inhale, the exhale, the pause after the exhale. I think that as a practice in itself can be wonderful. And it can be wonderfully challenging for many people. Just five minutes seated, or maybe even just on your back, not trying to fall asleep, but just trying to observe the moment and bear witness to the breath. In terms of actually a more dynamic physical practice, if you've never done yoga before and have no idea what's going on, it would be just to find a, a class that you can partake in. Maybe start with a pre recorded class so that you can do it at your own pace. There's many out there, you know, biased, I would say myself, sure. <laughs> of course, but there's plenty out there uh, that you can find. I'd say go for a 20 minute short class that the description suggests it's open to all levels and just have a little play around with it and let it be uh, an interesting experience with no expectation. And then
0: with those practices, and I think both of those are really great, and you know, I myself am a big advocate of both of those, just going back to the stillness practice and you said seated or lying down, best place in the house for this?
1: Not the bed. Not the bed. Uh, it depends how big your house is, <laughs> but I think somewhere where you wouldn't normally be still. Of course, on the bed, we'd just be inclined to fall asleep right. straight away. Uh, it's, I, I would say if you can just lie down in the center of your lounge, so somewhere that you would be, yeah, just somewhere you would be unfamiliar with being still, uh, and where you wouldn't go into an autopilot of slouching or being restful. If you're going to try to sit again, i might even be inclined to put a chair in the center of the room. I think I have to acknowledge it for a lot of people in their bodies, sitting cross-legged, will normally involve in them slouching. If you're determined to sit on the floor, I would sit on the edge of something, like the edge of a, a brick or the edge of a thick cushion, just to allow, to describe it, the pubic area to point a little bit down and the bum to stick out. So what I'm saying there is the spine would be in its four natural curves and erect, rather than rounding forwards. But as a really good starting point to sitting on the back of a chair, or just sitting near, near a chair or on a chair. So it could be, could be quite useful. But again, I'd, I'd almost try and sit in the center of a room. And if you, one other thing, if you are sitting, I'd say don't try and sit in a dramatic yogic way. I often see people try and cross their ankles and twist their knees. Just sit in a way that is sustainable and comfortable.
0: Great. So as we wrap up this chat, in light of this kind of big, great pause that we've all been given, it's easy to see and kind of let our minds spiral into the negativity of, of the situation. But there there has to be and there is silver lining or positive outlook that comes from this moment. I mean, in your mind, what do you see as a silver lining coming out of this, let's call it great moment of pause?
1: So, I think we have to acknowledge that, of course, there is lots of suffering happening in the world at the moment, of course. And anything I say now isn't to take away from that. Uh, but I think what a lot of people can get from this is a chance to question how they were living before. And I'm certainly doing that, uh, appreciating the things that are perhaps important. I'm appreciating time with my wife that I've been craving actually for so long. I'm appreciating the walks in the woods. I'm appreciating being with a kitten and just watching it and observing this little creature that trusts me. Uh, And I think when things hopefully kick off again, maybe I take more of a pause in life. Maybe I realize actually time isn't this eternal thing that I have. Uh, It is a finite resource and maybe I will start to make more of it. But I think it is a wonderful time for us all to step back from the hecticness of the modern world. And actually, I think it's a travel writer called Pico Ayer wrote that actually in an age of constant movement, all we need to, is to be still. And in, a, in like an age of constant travel, what we actually need to do is go nowhere. And that's where we'll learn about ourselves and find some peace. And I guess all of us right now are going nowhere. And that is, uh, I think, a good place to be occasionally. I butchered that slightly. But Pico Ayer, if you look for his TED Talk
0: on YouTube, there is is, is one about that. Thank you so much for the conversation. Um, As always, I always appreciate our time together, whether it's in chats like this or when we're face-to-face hanging out. Uh, I want to thank you for your uh, guidance on yoga as as an overall practice, and you know some some simple practices that everyone can do at home. If people are interested to stay connected and to find out a bit more about what you're doing these days, where can they find you? So
1: my Instagram is just Adam Hustler. There's no T in that, just Adam Hustler. Uh, as you said at the start, we've got this podcast going, honestly unbalanced. So we're talking to people. Loosely in the wellness industry, but actually trying to get underneath the glossy surface of everything's fine and everything's lovely. And actually really understand the work that's been done, the insecurities, how people have tackled their failures and alike. Uh, We've had two, well I've had many interesting conversations, two are live, there's one every week. Uh, And my wife and I have just created a new online platform uh, called Home with the Hustlers. Uh, and that includes my classes, her classes, she, Holly's a wonderful musician and sound uh, sound healer or someone that does sound journeys. So it's going to be quite a diverse platform. Uh, and you'll, you'll find all of that on the hustlers.com and all of my stuff, retreats and everything uh, and live classes you'll find at adamhustler.com.
0: Great. Well, so for those of you guys listening at home and wanting to find out more, do make sure you check out all those places uh, and stay connected. Thank you guys so much, as always, for listening to this episode of The Quiet Life. These daily conversations are really about supporting each and every one of us at home across different disciplines in the well-being world. And so, Adam, thanks again for dialing in. thanks um, for having me yeah of course and and for those of you guys listening in uh, we look forward to connecting on the next episode of The Quiet Life don't forget to follow along for daily episodes of The Quiet Life and make sure you follow at Just Breathe on Instagram and at Michael James Wong to keep live, to keep up to date and to keep in touch with this community thanks guys, see you again soon